0: This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions,
1: and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades' worth of audio product testing experience
0: and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and
1: Dennis. Hi everyone. I'm Dennis Berger, and I'm Brent Butterworth. Uh, Brent currently writes for Soundstage, Wirecutter, Audio Express, and Jazz Times. He's also the former editor of Home Theater and Home Entertainment magazines. He wrote for Sound and Vision, Home Theater Review, and uh, way too many other publications to to list here. Oh, oh, oh! He was also the marketing director for Dolby Labs. You forgot that I wrote for
0: Law Enforcement Technology as well. I didn't know Um, you wrote for Law Enforcement Technology as well. Um, But that won't be applicable here today, I hope. Um, (laughs) Dennis Berger currently writes for Soundstage, Wirecutter, and CineLux, and has written for Home Theater Review, Home Theater Magazine, uh, Residential Systems, and more magazines and websites than I can possibly think of or name. Yeah, I can't keep track of them either. So, What are we doing here, Brent? Uh, this is the Soundstage Audiophile podcast, mm-hmm. and so that means we are going to talk about things that are of interest to audiophiles, although I think we're going to cover a little bit more of a broad spectrum than uh, a lot of audiophile-oriented things. Do Mm -hmm. because Soundstage, the website soundstage.com covers a pretty broad spectrum. You know, there's like super high end, you know, $50,000 speakers, and there's also, uh, I think, like $50 Bluetooth speakers in there and pretty much everything in between. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Soundstage Access, which is my site, focuses on um, affordable audio and also, uh, you know, beginner tips and tricks for beginners, people who are just getting into this. So Okay. So, and there's a bunch of,
0: you know, I do Soundstage Solo, which is the headphone site, and there's a bunch of others, but you can find them all at soundstage.com. That's the
1: easiest thing to remember. Yeah. So what, so are, we what ta- are we, what are we, I was about to ask you what we're talking about. <laughs> well, we've got a few topics for this week. I think we're going to start off with speakers versus headphones, which is the the topic that brought us here to begin with. Uh, and then you, you've got something interesting that you want to talk about, I do. This is from uh, Steve Guttenberg's YouTube channel, which is called The Audiophiliac. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's a recent video he posted that's titled, Before you buy an expensive speaker, watch this video. And I agree, one of those rare cases where I agree with Steve, (laughs) that you should watch the video. (laughs) And we're going to talk about what he says, because I think I think it's pretty solid. I mean, I have, you know, there's, I have some different attitudes towards some of the things he says, but it's pretty uh,
1: different advice than you're going to see in a lot of audio publications. And I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. I also want to dig into a new Kickstarter project that's out right now. I'm a little uh, dubious when it comes to audio products on Kickstarter, but there are these new headphones. with involvement from Axel Grau, uh, called the Heavies Headphones. I think they were originally called the Heavies Antichrist, but they purport to be the perfect headphones for uh, heavy metal fans. So I've got some thoughts. I I do too. And, um,
0: <laughs> and so last, we're going to talk about, uh, also from Soundstage, uh, an article that was written by our own editor-in-chief, Jeff Fritz, called stereophile and d'agostino is it really a progression and what he's talking about is there's a new like super super expensive uh, uh amp from dan d'agostino master audio systems mm-hmm. called the progression m550 and it is uh about 45k a pair and um he's talking about how it got a review in stereophile where the writer loved it but they found in the measurements that it uh was not uh something that's technically perhaps as buttoned down as the, you know, work that Dan D'Agostino is known for. And we're going to get into a probably broader discussion, I think, about what those kind of measurements really mean, because, you know, we feature those measurements on most of the soundstage articles as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what those measurements really mean, can you ignore the measurements? Are they important? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It may not surprise you, that I have opinions on this subject.
1: (laughs) I'm never, ever surprised when you have opinions on anything, Brent. Okay. Uh, So should we dive right into speakers versus headphones and how we ended up here? Let's do. Why don't you take the lead on that since it's your article? Yeah. Oh, you know, the thing is, it was was actually kind of not an article. It was supposed to be. Uh, Jeff had pitched an idea to me to do sort of a beginner's guide to what you gain and what you lose by moving from headphones to a proper stereo speaker setup and vice versa. And it's, it's so often the case when I'm sort of presented with a topic that um, I'm trying to figure out how to make interesting. I called you and we got on a Zoom call and we hashed it out. And um, honestly, when I read the transcript, it was far more entertaining than anything I could have written myself. So I just I just transcribed it basically like a text podcast and turned it in. and um, Doug, our publisher, loved it so much. He was like, "You, you guys should do a podcast." So, and kinda, here we are. And here we are, indeed. And yeah. also, interestingly enough, that piece uh, was uh, responsible for our first piece of joint fan mail. Oh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you don't fan remember mail? this? Not yeah. used to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Henning, regular reader, uh, regular emailer. Uh, should I just read it? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, here's here's what Jeff had to say about the piece. Listen, Hamburglar and Mrs. Butterworth, and Jeff is a a bit irreverent, uh, which I think we both appreciate. Uh, He goes on, your school of thought is somewhat incorrect. And then he gives us some bullet points. Speakers in the proper config can offer something more like the live sound of a performance, but they are limited by the room regardless of the number of channels, unless the room is superb. Even then, it's still a great approximation and not a true recreation headphones on the other hand of whatever type will never offer the full monte S to reality but then neither will the best tv in its image the big thing with phones is that you have a representation of low bass but no actual low bass rattling your guts the physical part of the low bass is often discounted or ignored and then he goes on to say i can't take my home theater on a train or uh, my Odyssey iSign 20s will never truly sound like a live performance. They're both scaled down and idealized. Great speakers and a surround system will always be better than headphones, but that's not really the point. I enjoy both, um, which I kind of think is exactly what you and I said in our discussion.
0: Yeah. But... Well, it's quite uh, often that that I get letters from people that are disagreeing, that are purporting to disagree with me, but actually do agree with what I said. So that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, but it's the internet, man. So um anyway, so what
1: what was your conclusion headphones versus speakers? Uh well, you know, my conclusion was I like them for different purposes. I mean, they're both great. Um I, I kind of disagree with the whole notion that a proper stereo setup, you know, can, can recreate the effect of listening to live music. I don't know. I've never heard that, that sort of illusion myself. I mean, it's, it's a reasonable approximation, I guess, but I think you're, yeah. I think you're, you're tilting at windmills, trying to actually take speakers and amplifiers and make it sound like you're listening to live music. You can get a center image and things like that. And that's nice. which so is something you can't get with headphones very well, not without well, I'm just, just hard. <laughs> yeah, hard. I'm, just, I'm yeah. sitting here recounting your story. Yeah, but okay. um, but but also, uh, you know, when I'm uh when I'm listening to uh, the Alma Brothers band or something like that, I love strapping on a pair of cans and just getting lost in the fine little details that are are going to be sort of absorbed by any room. You know, the the hum of the amps, the textures of the strings, all of those things come out so much more in headphones um but you know they're, they're trade-offs um what about what about you is there anything well, so,
0: oh, so i i really think that you you can kind of get close to a live performance with both headphones if you have you know like binaural recordings right which chesky oh, yeah. records is, has done and it's still kind of i think dabbling with um you know where they put a binaural mic which is like a dummy head it's like a fake head like you use to measure headphones and mm-hmm. it's got microphones in the ears and it and it actually kind of encodes the audio, the same kind of way that your ears would. So when you play it back over headphones, it sounds kind of like a live performance. Mm -hmm. And Chesky has a couple of, I mean, arguably probably the best are the, uh, the two albums they did with Camille Thurman, who's a singer and sax player uh, in the jazz realm. And um, one of them's in a really small performance hall and one of them's in a large hall. And uh, they're both really great performances because she's really good. And, you really get a realistic sense of the acoustics of the space and the performers arrayed around you and all that sort of thing. And then, but then also, you know, I think that, you know, a, a a good, like, especially a surround sound system, maybe a stereo system. Um, you know, if you get like, honestly, like some Martin Logans, you know, big panel speakers, big, you know, electrostatic panel speakers, these things are like six feet high and, you know, a couple feet wide and they're real thin They're you know, you can actually see through them and, um, You know, if you get those kind of speakers, I think it kind of gets you something close to like a real live performance, depending, of course, on the recording that you have. And, you know, you get a real wraparound effect. and You can get that from some regular box speakers as well. But, you know, I think you can get kind of close. I think it's it's but, you know, as a musician right like a mm-hmm. you know amateur you know musician you who, are a professional sir you've you've released an album i make some money at it not a lot <laughs> of money i make no money on the album but who does um but uh okay i mean i i got a i got a gig tomorrow night okay so i'm i'm playing right but as a musician um I, I don't think there's anything like the live experience because you're there with the performers and you're appreciating the whole thing. And there's just no way a stereo system is going to be able to replicate that. But I think speakers and headphones are both fine. And yeah, I, I use them both. And I don't think like, oh my gosh, I'm going over to a set of headphones. I must adjust my expectations thusly. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. you just... You, you, it's like, this is not that hard. You know, you put the stuff on and you hear all the notes and you hear the timing of the notes and you hear, you know, a lot of sonic details and things like that. And you look, you can get a a great experience with either one of them. And I don't think that one of them is necessarily superior. I'll say this much headphones are a lot easier because you put them on your head and turn them on. And that's the sound as opposed to speakers, where you end up messing around a lot with, uh, because the room has such a big effect on them and it can mess up the sound, and it can, it sounds different depending on where you sit in the room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are really not good at positioning speakers. And no. so, especially once you get further away from people who are audio enthusiasts, they might put their left and right speakers on top of each other. Um,
1: I mean, I've seen it done. At least with headphones, there's just no way to screw it up unless they don't fit you right. I think one of the salient points of our conversation, though, is that, interestingly enough, and this is becoming truer and truer every day, a good speaker simply sounds like a good speaker. They have figured out what a good speaker sounds like, whereas I feel like every time I put on a pair of headphones, it's just a completely different experience for the most part, Uh, especially once you get into sort of the higher-end headphones. It's just... They all sound so different in they ways do. that I don't like. <laughs> they
0: do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, the headphone industry is not as uh, sort of standardized as the speaker industry, but the speaker industry has some pretty wacky stuff going on, too. Not for any good reason, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but but they do. But, yeah, headphones are a lot more random because e- even some of the big names in headphones, uh, you know, your uh, uh, Sennheiser, for example... Um, will make uh and you know others too um you know probably well sony um you know we will make headphones that sound, have all sorts of different sounds and mm-hmm. you know if one of them's right the other's got to be wrong right but we can we can discuss that um a
1: little bit later i think okay but you know actually in a lot of ways that sort of plays right into the discussion of gutenberg's mm-hmm. new video so why don't we take a short break and dig into that? Okay, great. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, we're back with the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast with brent butterworth and dennis berger that's me and yeah and i'm brent so uh what we're going to discuss next is from our good friend steve guttenberg who is a uh, noted audio critic of i don't know uh i met him probably 25 years ago so um he was at it before then so um steve has a youtube channel called the audiophiliac Check it out. He's got new videos up there. At least a couple of them a week. You know, three, four. I don't know how many a week. And but he just posted one a few days ago that's titled "Before You Buy an Expensive Speaker, Watch This Video." Mm-hmm. And of course, he's you know, Steve knows how to get people to click on his video. So. <laughs> he
1: is very good at it.
0: You know, um, so he's he's you know he's trying to create some sensation there. But but really, what he's talking about in the video is exactly what he says in the in the headline. Um, you know, he says. You know, I think a lot of people get into audio and they look at uh, uh, you know a high end publication like Soundstage or something, and they start to see that oh, there's all these expensive speakers out there. Maybe I should just jump right in and buy a ten thousand dollar pair speaker or something. Mm-hmm. And Steve says, no, that's the wrong way to do it. He says instead of doing that, why don't you spend a few years buying? a bunch of other kinds of speakers, not necessarily expensive ones, but speakers of different kinds of configurations, mm-hmm. such as, you know, a regular box speaker, like I think most people are used to, or uh, a panel speaker like an electrostatic, you know, a Martin Logan, or like, a, a, a you know, the big uh, planar magnetic speakers like uh, MagnaPans, mm-hmm. or uh, like an open back speaker like uh, uh, Emerald Physic has them and a few other names. Or, uh, you know, some of these uh, single driver speakers that have that cover the full range with one driver like uh, Zoo Audio, you know, more or less makes a speaker like that and Voxative and people like that. And so, uh, you know, what Steve is saying is you should get all these different speakers and experience them and really learn what sound works for you, for your taste, for the music you listen to, maybe for your room, etc, 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 and the thing that I like about this so much about what he said is that I don't see being an audiophile as like, well, I mean, I'm sure some people do, but I don't see audiophiles like, yeah, I, I want the best, the best audio system, you know? Um, cause then that's just bragging and, and, you know, that's not a journey. I think real audiophiles, real audiophiles, the ones that I want to talk to, um, have uh, you know, are, are on a journey and they're trying different things and they want to experience the whole of audio, not just like, Oh, I want the best, you know? Yeah. And so not, there's necessarily anything wrong with wanting the best. However, in audio, you know, it's more fun if you really explore it and, and, and hear all the different things, which will also drive you to probably listen to different kinds of music. And I mean, it certainly has made me listen to different kinds of music and, um, and, and different kinds of recordings and all this sort of thing. So Steve is basically saying, go buy these speakers for, you know, not necessarily a lot of money. I mean, box speakers cost whatever you want to spend from about 30 bucks up to about, you know, half a million or something. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, but you know, panel speakers, uh, you can go buy pretty affordable ones from, uh, Magna Pan and Martin Logan. And I really think people should, um, You can go buy, but, you know, where I start to deviate from what Steve said, though, Steve, I think, has the attitude that a lot of other audio writers have. And that's that, hey, this is all just a matter of opinion, and whatever you like is just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see that. However, there's a lot of stuff done in audio that's really not very good. (laughs) <laughs> and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of designers who just sort of design audio products by the seat of their pants, who really don't look at what's come before them. They don't look at the science. They don't build a knowledge base. They just start messing around. And so, and then also they tend to embrace technologies that we know don't work. Okay. For example, these, these speakers that have a single driver, you know, with like, like a woofer that's you know six and a half inches. Across maybe, and like a wizard cone, you know, the little sort of quasi-tweeter in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, those speakers all, n- none of those speakers have natural sound. And there, there are writers who will say, oh, well, I find them to be, you know, they're much simpler, so they have much more natural sound, right. but they just flat out don't. You can measure them, and you can, if you listen to them in a blind test where you don't know what you're hearing, no one would pick that speaker. Yeah. I mean, nobody, I mean, yeah. they, they, they grossly color the sound. They have a real, um, they, they don't have a broad dispersion. So it means that they sound kind of like this, right. Mm-hmm. They have what we call cupped hands distortion. And maybe you dig that, but I personally don't. And so, you know, I, I just think that some of these steps, it's better just to skip entirely and, you know, find out what works. I mean, look, you know, going and buying like a single driver speaker. I mean, I've seen seen some of these things where it's like a little, you know, five inch driver or something with a wizard cone in a big giant, uh, 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 you know, transmission line enclosure where the thing's like six feet high and it's got this one dumb little driver (laughs) sitting there burping away. Yeah. And and you can go to audio shows and see this. And it's just, those things just don't sound good. They don't, I think people buy into it as, as, I, I was at a sh- i was actually at a show i was at Rocky mountain audio fest with uh with steve guttenberg and mike trey who uh is another noted audio writer and turntable setup guy and so i was asking them what is it with these single driver speakers and one of them i can't remember who's
1: mike or steve said it's kind of a religious thing <laughs> yeah well i mean so much of audio is you know True. i Also, but, i want to throw something at you real quick yeah. I, I i find them a lot of times with with things like this it it boils down to there there is a kernel of of truth to the impulse, the original impulse. And, and by that, I mean, like, decades ago, way before I even got into audio, you know, people started bringing up some of the issues that could be caused by feedback and amplifier designs. And then I think mm-hmm. a lot of audiophiles decided, well, feedback is just awful, then, you know, and also crossovers, there can be problems with crossover designs. And so I think a lot of audiophiles were like crossovers are bad, <laughs> you know, and, and so some of these specific products come along that that address that pain point, while well, you think crossover are bad well our speaker doesn't even have a crossover so therefore well, it must be great yeah
0: you know you you say they address the pain point i say they cynically pander to that bias <laughs> <but> whatever <laughs> whatever and <laughs> potato <laughs> tomato yeah. <laughs> yeah i think now i will say i think some of these manufacturers really believe that some wacky speaker they invented with you know, really bizarre frequency response measurements is better. I think a lot of them do genuinely believe that. Mm -hmm. However, there's a lot of things that people genuinely believe that are not supportable. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean like, hey, they're just as right as anybody else, because they believe it. Um, So I, I think, you know, in audio, we do have uh, although we often manufacturers and many publications sort of pretend that we don't have any kind of standards for anything, but we do. And we know what works and we know what doesn't. But a lot of speaker design is pretty random. And, and yeah. frankly, a lot of it doesn't really deserve our respect because it's made, according to, it's made for a lot of reasons other than a
1: genuine rational drive towards having good sound. Well, and I think a lot of it also, there, there is limited functionality. I, you know, you and I have been to a lot of audio shows, and I think I think you and I have probably experienced the same thing where you walk into a suite or a booth or what have you, and they want you to hear this recording of uh, an Aborigine playing the didgeridoo at, you know, the summer solstice, and they recorded it themselves on a DAT. And, yeah. um, you know, no, you, th- this is what I want you to listen to. Okay. Well, I have no, I have no frame of reference, you know, whereas, yeah. you know, our friend, Sandy Gross, I could always walk into Sandy's booth and Sandy's like, what do you want to hear? You know, you want to hear some yeah. doors? You want to hear some love? It Like, you know, you can listen to anything. Whereas a lot of these kookier, you know, single driver speakers, full range drivers, what have you, they're very selective in what you're going to be allowed to listen to. And often, Indeed. oftentimes it's like, you know. Uh, Livingston Taylor's isn't she lovely for the nine hundred millionth freaking time? In, indeed. <laughs> so
0: I, so we should probably wrap this up. But I encourage people to go, uh, go to YouTube and mm-hmm. go look up the audiophiliac. You could probably figure out how to spell it. Um, and see Steve Guttenberg's channel. He's got piles of videos in there and Steve is always entertaining. So check it
1: out. And he has a new podcast as well, also called The Audiophiliac. And I believe he had somebody really, really cool in his first episode. I was
0: honored to be his first guest. So um, I was probably just the first person he could talk into having him on. So, <laughs> nah, Steve, can get, Steve gets tons of people. Steve, everyone loves Steve. So. Everybody loves Steve. Okay, so we should wrap that up and take a break and be back in a couple minutes. See you on the other side.
1: Right. And we're back. Uh, So our next topic is, uh, I think there's probably going to be a little bit of controversy here because we're going to be talking about one of the most discussed uh, Kickstarter projects going on right now, the Heavies headphones, which have had a little bit of an interesting marketing angle. Uh, They were originally called the Heavies Antichrist. They quickly dropped that. But the whole premise here is that these are headphones designed to appeal uh less charitably you might say pander to metal heads people who love heavy metal these promise to be the first headphones that are really do justice to heavy metal music but the weird thing is they've got some interesting technology going on and they've got a little bit of an interesting backstory um in that they 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 have the uh some level of participation uh from axel grau of uh yeah. Sennheiser Okay. Uh yeah, with the father of the Sennheiser HD series is that not correct?
0: Uh, as I understand it. Yeah, and those are that's a revered set of headphones that have been has been around for yeah, oh, a good 20 years. Yeah. Um and they, you know, he some of his work has resulted in some in headphones that are considered to be
1: you know, industry standards. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah, do you have a favorite amongst those because I have to admit I'm kind of partial to the HD 250.
0: Uh, I like the HD 800S, which is the super expensive one, Mm. and then I also like the HD 600. Oh, yeah, 650 is a little too dark sounding for me, but the 600 is a little brighter. I think it was a top pick on Wirecutter, might still be, I can't remember, and it's also more affordable, so yeah,
1: that's always nice. But yeah, these heavy things are actually quad driver and they've got two base drivers and two high frequency drivers and the high frequency per ear, drivers right? per ear. Yeah. And the high frequency drivers are uh, are loaded in the front of the ear cup. So they actually fire backwards, you know, so they 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 promise to create something resembling like a center image and so forth but yeah, there's a lot going on here and a lot to discuss. I'm just curious. I mean, you know, given that you're the headphone guru, what's the first thing that stood out to you about these things when you first saw them?
0: Well, if they're marketed for heavy metal, I mean, that's, uh, that's a, uh, I am something of a metal fan and have been for my whole life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of, I'm proud to say I saw Celtic Frost in their heyday.
1: Oh, wow. Um, The original extreme metal band. Mm -hmm. And, um, well then you you are perfectly positioned to to tell us all why other headphones suck for heavy metal. Well they don't necessarily,
0: but there <laughs> there hasn't it's been an it's been a largely ignored audience and it's it's an it's an audience that is a lot more serious than I think people give them credit for. It's definitely got its own aesthetic. Uh the people that play it are uh by and large skilled. I think that maybe in the days of uh, you know, in the early days of metal, they weren't, but a lot of them are extremely skilled musicians and they play like seven or eight string guitars. And um, it's, a, it's a really interesting genre and it's not just stupid loud stuff. It's got a lot of subtlety to it. Anyway, so these this genre, and this audience is, is by and large ignored by the headphone industry. And so they are uh, Axel Grell, who I take it is a metal fan. Um, has created these headphones that are specifically designed and voiced for metal. And there are some fascinating things going on in
1: these headphones. Really fascinating. I think one of the things that stands out to me that I don't really understand is that they claim you can play these louder but without generating higher SPLs. And I'm almost wondering if that's just like sort of a, a loudness control or if that's a perceptual thing or... Nowadays, pretty much every set of headphones that's active that has built in amplification
0: has also digital signal processing built in. Mm -hmm. And by and large, what people do with the digital signal processing is they just do some EQ, you know, they'll boost the treble a little bit here. They'll kick down, you know, they'll they'll pull the bass down in this one region, things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and it's really easy to do with digital EQ with, with a digital uh, signal processor, as opposed to doing it in the old fashioned domain where you're doing it by Uh, you know, messing around with the physical form factor of the headphones. Anyway, so, but in addition to that, they're actually putting compression into these things and volume limiting as well. So what that means is that, first of all, you're not going to blow your ears out, or at least you wouldn't, you're not going to blow your ears out like you would with a normal set of passive headphones, cranking them, right? Where you might be, you might be exceeding, You might be getting into the high 90s, maybe even 100 decibels, where you're going to damage your hearing within like an hour or less, half an hour or something like that. So with these, they actually do, you know, watch out for your hearing, but they also add compression, which means they're going to, you know, the the loud sounds are going to get quieter and the quieter sounds are going to get louder. So there's Mm -hmm. less dynamic range, but the whole thing sounds louder. So it'll okay. be more yeah. satisfying if you listen to like some of these kids' headphones that are limited to like 85 decibels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they're fine to listen to, but sometimes you want to go a little louder, right? Yeah. So, but you can't do anything because they're limited to 85 decibels. With these, I'm assuming they're going to go louder than that. They'll probably go up into the low 90s, I would guess, because that's still reasonably safe for a couple hours. Um but they're going to add compression to make it more satisfying to listen at that volume so i don't know frankly i mean i use compressors i was using compressors doing some mixing last night i use them all the time i know what compressors sound like and they can really make the music sound better and they can make it sound worse Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of heavy metal is also very very heavily compressed anyway so i can't predict whether or not this is really going to work but i but i applaud them first of all for actually caring about their their customers hearing second of all not just saying oh well you shouldn't listen any louder than this and if you listen any louder than this you're a bad person or (laughs) you're just endangering your health or whatever where they're saying hey we understand why you want to listen louder and we're going to make it satisfying to listen at a quieter level and you know nobody else is doing that. I mean, everyone's, you know, people really aren't doing that much with digital signal processing yet in headphones. And I just think it's so amazing that, that this
1: company is really
0: getting creative and trying to deliver a real benefit to
1: consumers that they will appreciate. I wish they would introduce a new model that's, that's targeted toward the uh, underserved yacht rock community. that's what I really need. Uh, you and know, I have what to
0: would wh- I'm not sure what features those that would have.
1: Do you have any particular ideas? Oh man, you know, they've they've, they've just got to really, really make that electric piano sing. You know, that's that's probably the crucial element. Oh, what I was don't it? know. The,
0: the, the doobie bounce, right? The that's the doobie that? bounce.
1: Yeah, yeah. What was that song, Minute by Minute? Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was the uh, the 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 oh, the what a fool believes. Oh, what a fool believes! Yeah, oh, you're great. singing way too low there, but yeah, Michael oh. McDonald is is in the glass-breaking territory in that song. But yeah, so um, I, I have to admit, well, I'm though, no Michael
0: McDonald. Well, um, who is, I can't though. even grow the beard, much less sing like that. <laughs>
1: but, um, I just I have to admit, I I really I I. I don't like this idea of creating an audio product that is designed specifically for one genre of music, and the reason I say that is because you know I have heard products I reviewed just a couple of years ago some wireless headphones that oh gosh you put the doobie bounce on me sounded incredible you you play hip hop and they just sounded amazing and then I would go to listen to Queen. And it would just be hot garbage like, uh, the, yeah. you know, Freddie would be simultaneously, you know, strident and recessed in the mix. I think once you start trying to cater to a specific genre of music, well, you've you've lost a general applicability that that, you know, I mean, my musical tastes are so all over the place that, I, you know, I need something that's going to work for everything, man. Well, but we don't know.
0: We don't know what their implementation is. And they may have different modes in there for different things. It may not be like, you know, look, is this thing going to make a a Miles Davis recording sound like Black Sabbath? I don't know. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know that either. But you know, it looks. You know, I. You sent me this shot of him of, of Axel Grell apparently looking at frequency response readouts on an audio precision analyzer. Mm-hmm. And judging from, I'm assuming these are the curves he's going to use, and they're not just some random curves they throw on the screen. And uh, they they are headphone measurements. I can tell that much. But mm-hmm. the, the the voicing, he, he's definitely showing some different modes. There's at least three different modes that I can see in this picture now. The voicing looks really bizarre.
1: Like every Um, one of the voicings has this really, really, really weird bump from like 5k to 10k.
0: Yeah. Whereas that should normally be, normally you have a big bump at like three kilohertz or something, which is Mm -hmm. sort of like the top of the vocal range, um, you know, where a lot of your sounds Mm -hmm. come from. So um, normally you have a big bump at 3k or something, then a smaller one at like five or six or 7k. And these have a giant bump at what is that about 6k and then they're dead flat from you know uh about like four pretty much dead flat from about 4k down to about uh, 300 hertz which i don't know what that sounds like it's definitely going to be an outlier but maybe that's maybe this audience will like that and who knows what their modes and that they then they also have some different amounts of bass in the different modes and i don't know what that's going to sound like but you know, I'm nothing if not open minded. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they'll send you the first review sample because I did yeah, read on their think... Facebook page that they're going to be bringing an audio reviewer soon. So, oh, good. Have you ever heard I... any really good multi driver headphones, by the way? I did hear there was a company called OSIC, O S S I C,
0: that was going to do a, uh, Like a sort of VR-oriented headphone with surround sound and multi-drivers, and I heard a prototype of it, uh, and it was pretty encouraging. But they never got off the ground, and they went out of business. Um,
1: You know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell with the heavies because it's in the marketing. It says that each speaker releases sound in the frequency range that suits its purpose. So it kind of seems like they're going to be doing different voicing for each of the woofers and each of the tweeters but although then they have two woofers so yeah but two tweeters so right right yeah it's a little you, yeah I don't, I don't know
0: i don't know either hey man know. the guy the guy does know what he's doing okay he's designed a lot of headphones it's mm-hmm. not like it's not like you know he clearly understands acoustics okay so i'm I'm, I'm i have high hopes for these but we don't even know if these are going to launch it's a kick it's a kickstarter project so yeah we don't know for sure i sure hope they do because you know even if they don't i think a lot of some other headphone manufacturers have to be looking at this going like huh Let's yeah. steal a couple of those ideas. Um, there's a lot of DSP horsepower that's just sitting around right now in audio. I'm just gonna come out and say
1: that. I, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to to seeing your measurements of them. But I, you know, I think that actually is a really nice segue into the next topic we're gonna talk about, which is this whole progression amp kerfuffle. So why don't we take a break real quick and then uh, dig into that. All right, kerfuffle coming up. <laughs>
0: okay we're back with the soundstage audiophile podcast dennis berger and brent butterworth and the topic that we're going to finish out this segment with is from soundstage ultra an article written by jeff fritz our editor-in-chief of the whole soundstage network and uh soundstage ultra is jeff's uh, own microsite and it focuses on super super high-end audio equipment and so it's always interesting because there's a lot of stuff going on in super high-end audio equipment, and it's usually controversial. Mm-hmm. No less here in his article, which is titled, Stereophile and D'Agostino, is it really a progression? Now, I have to explain for people that are not hardcore audiophiles, Stereophile is a an audio publication that's been around since the early 60s. Um, And D'Agostino is Dan D'Agostino, who is one of the best known amplifier designers in history. He founded a company called Krell back in the 1970s. And uh, more recently has been uh, for the last uh, 10 or 12 years or so, has been doing a company called Dan D'Agostino Master Audio Systems. So um, as Jeff details in his column, He's actually kind of talking about this Stereophile review and the issues that it brings up. So, um, Stereophile did a review, uh, and the, the writer, uh, you know, with, as in most cases, uh, you know, the uh, a writer does a review, you know, subjective review, or listens to the product and writes about it. And they have someone else who's more technically oriented measure it which they did, which, you know, soundstage does mostly the same thing, not on soundstage solo because I do the measurements and most of the listening. But anyway, so Stereophile had a writer, uh, Jason Victor Serenis, one of their longtime writers, do a subjective review of this amplifier. It's the the Dan D'Agostino Master Audio Systems Progression M550 Monoblock Power Amplifiers. You need two of them for stereo. It's $45,000 for a pair of these things. So yeah, really super super high end stuff. Um, but they sell a decent amount of these things. They sell enough of them to have a nice facility in Cave Creek, uh, Arizona, where they build them all by hand. And anyway, so um, the controversy comes in because uh, Dan Dagostino is well known with you know the the a lot of the equipment that he's done with uh, Krell. Mm -hmm. measured beautifully. Like you would, as a measurement guy, you know, I would, I would like to have that kind of thing around because it measured perfectly and, you know, it, 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 it hit its power rating with some power to spare, which a lot of amps don't, um, yeah, there was like no notable noise and the frequency response was dead flat out to who knows what, you know, at least, at least 200 kilohertz and not higher. Um, so they basically kind of measured perfectly, and yet with this new amplifier, the measurements they published in Stereophile showed that they have this amplifier, which is forty-five thousand dollars a pair, has a lot of money. Uh uh, you know, 0.15% distortion. Oh, I thought it was up to like 0. 0.25. Is I... it 0.25? Uh... Oh, Hang on let me Hang look. on oh oh no I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm looking at his specs Hang on I'm looking at the original specs but uh, the actual you... measurements are apparently not that good um I'm trying to find the original
1: uh uh I'm reading what Diego wrote Diego does okay. all of my measurements for Diego for Stan, who is yeah.
0: Diego Stone who is the uh electronics measurement guy for Soundstage mhm and so he found um, THD plus N varied between 0.15 and 0.25%. Total harmonic distortion plus noise, which is a lot because a, a lot of amps, I mean, it's not hard to make an amplifier that has less than 0.1% distortion or, or even much less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now here's the thing, though. I mean, wh- how much distortion can you actually hear? Yeah, that's a good um, question. And that varies a lot with frequency, right? With subwoofers... You know, subwoofers, the the generally accepted sort of general threshold for subwoofers is about 10% distortion before you can hear it. And I can confirm that because I measure subwoofer distortion all the time. And that's about what it takes. Whereas with an amplifier running at, you know, one kilohertz or something like that, it's generally accepted that somewhere around a half of a percent to a Mm -hmm. percent is the threshold of audibility. So whether or not this amplifier has an audible problem is a big question. Mm -hmm. And, and, and now the writer, as you know, I mean, I I've never seen a negative review of a Dan D'Agostino product. I can't remember Any negative reviews of crawl products? You know, the writers are like, oh my gosh, this is fabulous, it's just wonderful and blah, 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 blah. blah. Right, it's kind of predictable. Mm -hmm. We see that a lot in high-end audio writing. You know, if it's some storied brand, they're probably gonna get a pretty good review. And and actually, you know, the product's probably
1: fine. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of cult of personality.
0: There's a so, lot of cult of personality and that's okay and you know that's part of what you're buying into and yeah you know, look hey look these amplifiers work fine for music okay John Coltrane still sounds like John Coltrane Motorhead still sounds like Motorhead um you know so that's not an issue um I think that the point Jeff brings up here is that you know should a piece of gear this expensive have these kind of measurements which are You know, not which are easily outclassed by you know thousand dollar amps from Parasound.
1: Oh gosh, I just I just reviewed this five hundred and fifty dollar integrated amp from Emotiva, and Mm -hmm. when when Diego measured that, the first thing Doug, our publisher, did was emailed me and said, "God, this is perfect." (laughs) You know, for five hundred and fifty bucks, this thing measures as well as you could hope for an amplifier to measure. So. Yeah, is is the is there really, really any excuse for a forty-five thousand dollar monophonic amp that doesn't? So
0: yeah, and Jeff's lower down in the article, Jeff is citing uh like a boulder amplifier that has distortion that's like you know point zero 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 five three at two kilohertz. Okay, so incredibly low. And now. Can you hear the difference between 0.1% distortion and 0.00053% distortion? You cannot. Mm. I don't care how good you think your ears are, you cannot hear that. Basically, you're, you're, you're down, uh, just off the top of my head, you're probably down about 70 or 80 decibels below the signal, even mm. for the 0.1%. And well, what is that? I, I have to do the math. I can't. Anyway, so. But with, with, with the Boulder amplifier, you're like 100 decibels below the signal level. So mm-hmm. 100 decibels is like the range of uh, a pin dropping on a, on, a, on a tile floor to the range of uh, a really loud rock band.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I mean, that's a giant range. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. So you can't, and you know, when a loud rock band is playing, can you hear the pin drop on the floor? No, you can not. I don't care what magazine you write for, you cannot hear that. And so it's, I, I I honestly don't know the answer to this question. You know, they, Jeff, you know, goes up in there and, and talks about how Dan D'Agostino says, you know, when he was doing Krell, they really were chasing, you know, constantly chasing, you know, having better measurements. Mm -hmm. And now he's doing a lot more listening and he's trying to make it more musical. However, every high-end audio amplifier manufacturer says, oh, we do extensive listening tests.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, here's one thing I really like to see. Message out there to all high-end audio amplifier manufacturers. I know you do these extensive listening tests. Can you please document your listening tests? Like, how did you do them? What was your methodology? What was the matching? What did you compare the product to? Um, who listened? Was it a blind test, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And this is never shown. It's just, we're supposed to just, it's an article of faith. It's sort of like, if I, if I made you a cup of coffee at my house and said, Oh, well, you know, I did, you know, hundreds of hours of testing to, to find the perfect, you know, amount of coffee and the perfect brewing temperature and all that sort of thing. Well, maybe I did, but it's an article, as as you said, it's an article of faith. It's like, I'm supposed to just believe that. And then also, as you know, I mean, once you, uh, as, as, you know, Paul Barton from PSB says, PSB speaker says, you know, once you, once the tests are blind, everything changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a, a couple different blind testing switchers, one of which I built and one of which I bought. know when you when you get these switchers you think like oh well i'm gonna beat the switcher you know i can i can hear these differences Mm -hmm. and boy once you do it and you know what you have to do is you have to with an abx test you listen to a which is one amplifier and b which is the other amplifier and then you listen to x and you have to decide whether or not x is a or b right and it's a very very demanding test but you know if you can hear the difference in an ABX test, there is a difference.
1: Okay. Yeah. A measurable difference. A, yes. A,
0: but there's there is a, a clear difference if you can hear between two, you know, in an ABX. And so you go through these trials and you go through maybe you know, like 24 trials of it with whatever music you want and forever what length of time you want, whatever. And then you get your results. You're just like, oh, my results were random. So and I don't care who you are, unless the amplifiers are radically different, like a maybe a Dynaco stereo seventy and a and a Krell, let's say, or a D'Agostino. Um, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. You're not going with two solid-state amps. I it's extremely unlikely you could tell the difference, and so. You get into like, what do these listening tests actually mean, and then what te- what what do they change in the product that's as a result what I was, of the listening test? That's what
1: I was going to ask. Like, if you if they are not happy with these listening tests, what do they do? And and furthermore, with this you know with this this progression amplifier that that has the higher distortion, it, it appears it's it's a distortion problem more than a noise problem. What are the trade offs? Like, what what did they what were the what were they seeking to improve that that distortion was the consequence they were willing to accept you know
0: yeah well and then and of course you you have amplifier manufacturers now like some of the tube guys who are intentionally adding harmonic distortion
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know uh, uh, I think Nelson Pass is doing this with the, the first wide amplifiers and they're intentionally adding harmonic distortion because it thickens the sound mm-hmm. however you know I gotta say as a musician who spends a lot of time on his, well, who spends a lot of time on some of his mixes, I don't, I know how to add distortion myself. I can do it in a digital audio workstation very, very easily. And to the, exactly the degree that I want, I don't need some amp designer adding distortion to my mixes. Exactly. I mean, I don't care if people want to listen, Hey man, anybody who listens to my music, I'm thrilled if they listen to it. I, if they want to put it through a fuzz box and put, you know, 10 or 20% distortion that's fine with me too but I don't need an amplifier manufacturer getting between me and my listener I don't care if they do but for the listener to think that somehow the the thing that I produce or that somebody who's actually like talented at mixing produces needs to be you know like like an Al schmidt mix or something needs to somehow have this distortion added is, crazy to me. I mean, yeah, if it's 0.1% distortion or 0.2%, like in this D'Agostino amp, well, it doesn't matter. You really can't hear it
1: anyway. And the, the here's the thing. I think you and I have often i don't know i don't want to say we've disagreed about this but i think mm-hmm. we have a different philosophy like a lot of times in high end to me what really sets uh, what sets a piece apart like this progression amplifier is like I, I, it, there's just nothing in the world that looks like it like you've got to pay for that industrial design you've got to pay for that crazy thick extruded aluminum or whatever it is you know yeah. well they, you, they have you, many
0: yeah. many thousands of dollars their cost mm-hmm. their cost on the metalwork. In that amplifier
1: is several thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. And and I think there is value in that. I think if 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 these pieces are jewelry for your room or what have you or part of your interior design, hell yeah, man. If I had screw you money, I would love an amplifier that looks like this. But uh, sure. But 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 in terms of the sound, I would want it to sound like nothing. You know. You know what? It's this. But here's the thing: this amp is going to sound like nothing. It's not gonna. It's
0: not gonna have any particular audible character in a in controlled testing. Now, if you if you can look at this amp and go, my gosh, that's an awesome amp. It must sound great. Uh, it's probably gonna sound pretty great. But if you <laughs> conceal it and you shoot it out against whatever, there. You know, uh, Jeff is talking about this uh, Moon Audio amplifier that's really solid. He's talking about a Boulder. If you put them all together in a blind test with your levels matched to within the you know fraction of a decibel um you will i can tell you this much but ha- having done so much of this because i have the switchers at my house um you hear a difference but you can't but it's not a cons you don't you don't identify it consistently you listen to like a and b amplifiers and you're like oh i definitely hear a difference right mm-hmm. every single time you're like oh i definitely hear a difference but then when you actually look at your results and your results are, are a wash then, you know, you got it right half the time, which is no better than flipping a coin. Yeah. Um, you know, then you start to realize like, you know, I can, I definitely hear a difference and yet I can't identify that difference. Mm-hmm. So what does it really mean? I yeah. don't really know. And when you have most amplifiers getting great reviews mm-hmm. and then you have different, you know, reviewers expressing different results, like, oh, I prefer this Dan D'Agostino amp to this Boulder amp, or, or perhaps more to the point, I prefer this Dan D'Agostino amp to this Prima Luna Italian tube amp or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But then you get different writers from different publications like, oh, I like this amp. I like this amp. I like this amp. It has no relevance to the music you're listening to. Yeah, <laughs> it's so just, it's just different flavors. It's like I prefer my coffee in a red cup. I prefer my <laughs> coffee in a blue cup. So and that knows the color of the coffee cup does influence the way you perceive the taste. But you know what? That has no bearing on what color cup you should drink your coffee from. So that raises
1: an interesting question. Then why do we measure amps? To see if they if they're competently designed. Yeah. Now, this
0: amp clearly does not measure like, let's say, a Krell, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or like that Boulder amp or like the SIM audio or whatever. So, um, but it measures fine, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it makes its power output uh which
1: band stuff always does to spare. i actually thought that was i thought that was one of the controversies about this was that that questionable didn't meet its power output yeah hang on let me go
0: look i can't remember all this stuff dennis i'm getting old so but even if it doesn't make its power output it's still um you know how much power do you really need i mean these amps are are you know it's like buying a car with 500 horsepower to go get your groceries yeah yeah and you know look yeah if if you if you're going to get your car on a track maybe that 500 horsepower is a great thing to have Mm -hmm. but you're not and with this you're not going to play no matter how demanding your speakers are you're not going to push this amp anywhere close to its output limits oh god no
1: Yeah, so I hope for your sake that you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I did an article about that not long ago about how little power we actually use. So, yeah. um, You know, I think this is probably a pretty good place to end the conversation, man. We've covered a lot of ground here. Um, Before we go, we have. Yeah, I want to ask what uh, what are you working on right now for Soundstage?
0: Well, I you know since I edit Soundstage Solo, which is the headphone reviews. Uh, I am currently, uh, maybe by the time this podcast is out, this article will actually, I, I got two things that I, one thing I just finished today, which is a review of the Mark Levinson, uh, number five, nine, oh, nine noise canceling headphones. These are like the first noise canceling Bluetooth headphones that are a thousand mm-hmm. dollars, nine ninety nine. they say Mark Levinson on the side. So, you know, high-end ish, mm-hmm. but they're like twice the price of, uh, other high-end-ish headphones that are similar, like the Dolly IO6 and the Bowers and Wilkins uh, PX7 Carbon Edition and stuff. So, are they twice as good? And then um, I got an article coming out that will be out the first of February. That will be, you know, over the Christmas break. I went uh, on a pretty extensive drive to go visit my family and kind of kind of detoured through Colorado and Utah a little bit and stuff. Um, and then came back through went to CES and all this stuff. And so in my journeys, I picked up, uh, I decided to buy some headphones at truck stops mm-hmm. and see nice. how good they are. And so my rule was they couldn't cost any more than $10. And so, um, so I got a whole bunch of them. And I have, honestly, I haven't listened to them yet. I have run measurements. Um, and if the results I can promise will be very interesting. So what
1: are you Working on Dennis Berger. Well, while you were on your road trip and going uh, from Texas to CES and exploring all the truck stops, I had COVID. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the interesting thing about that is my worst symptom is that I went deaf in my left ear, almost completely deaf. Um, and I wrote a story about it for Soundstage Global, actually, um, because it, well, this is going to seem like a like a bit of a weird left turn, but in a way it made me appreciate the Beatles mono mixes which i've ignored for years despite wow. uh you know uh audiophile friends uh, browbeating me into giving them a chance um and you know hey being deaf in one ear will well, certainly serve as motivation for that sort of thing. Um, so I've got that coming up for Soundstage Global and for my own site, Soundstage Access. I've got a piece going up on February 1st, which covers what I believe to be the most dangerous myth in the audiophile world. Ah, well, yeah. I guess we'll have to wait and see what that myth is. I guess we will. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll talk about it next time on the Soundstage Audiophile podcast. That sounds good to me. So, um, should we talk about some credits here? You've been listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast presented by me, Dennis Berger. And me, Brent Butterworth. Uh, Editing and engineering by me. Mixing and mastering by me. (laughs) Security provided by Bruno
0: Bartholomew Berger and... Oh, uh, Missy, she doesn't have a last name. She doesn't have a last name. No, No. she's a Shih Tzu.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, She's uh, good
0: security against lizards, or
1: she was until she got old and really couldn't see them anymore. How about squirrels? No, she doesn't care about them anymore. And uh, yeah, so we should say this is a production of the Soundstage Network with music provided by...
0: And the music is by me, Brent Butterworth, and uh, with assistance from Dan Gonda and Ron Seiger. And yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say that. (laughs) I'm supposed to say, yes, we will see you next time. So I agree. I agree with you, Dennis. Everybody, we will see you or or you will hear us next time.
1: Bye. Bye. That was pretty good.